Hello, I'm Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Lord of Fact. Today we are talking UCC. First, a few disclaimers. Disclaimer one. This is just an overview. You are always responsible for understanding the case law that supports any rule of law. Disclaimer number two. Always remember you take the professor, not the course. So if by some chance you are listening to this and I'm not your professor, keep in mind that I may emphasize and even include or not include areas of the law that are different from your professor. Let's talk about UCC terms. Once it's been established that a contract has been formed, it is important to consider the terms of the agreement. The terms dictate the obligations of performance. The parties are the primary arbiters of what terms to which they can agree. But where the contract is silent, the code may, if required, supply the necessary terms. Chapter 3 of the UCC includes a host of gap fillers, terms that the code will insert into a contract if necessary. It also includes warranties and delivery terms. The key here is that, like with most aspects of the code, when a court must insert a code provision, the provision requires a standard of reasonableness, reasonable price, reasonable delivery, etc. Let me briefly run through a few of these gap filler terms, but I encourage you to look at them closely for nuances, and also, as always, review the comments. 2301 places the obligation on the seller to tender goods and the obligation on the buyer to pay for the goods. In other words, once the contract is signed, the parties must perform. Price. According to 2306, a contract can exist even though the amount is not fixed. Essentially, this section contemplates output and requirement contracts. An output contract is one where the buyer agrees to purchase all the seller can produce. Let's say that Christmas World agrees to buy all the trees Trees R Us will grow in a particular season. At the time of contracting, there's no way to know how many trees will make it to maturity, so the parties engage in an output contract. A requirements contract mandates that the seller sell all that the buyer shall require. Let's say that a quarry agrees to supply a builder with all the rock it will need to build a particular house. At the time of contracting, the builder can only estimate how much rock he will need, and so the parties enter into a requirement contract, a contract which allows the buyer to only pay what is required for but the contract doesn't ever set a particular number at the time of the signing. 2306 obligates the parties to set the number in good faith and prohibits a party from demanding an amount that is unreasonably disproportionate to the amount estimated by the parties at the time of contracting. Okay, that's 2306. 2307 states that the contracts are presumed to be one-shot contracts with payment due at the time of delivery. 2308 provides that where a contract is silent with respect to the place of delivery, delivery is presumed to be the seller's place of business. And according to 2309, if the time for shipment is not provided in a contract, then a reasonable time is presumed. Chapter 3 also includes warranties. Warranties can be thought of as guarantees or promises. They are assurances that are a part of the contract. So, for example, let's say I am selling you a Moreau painting for $400,000 on June 5th. The terms of the contract will include the art, the price, the date of delivery, but also that what I'm selling you will be delivered with clean title. Similarly, 
If I were to sell you a toaster for $40 on June, then the contract includes the price and the date of delivery, but also a warranty that the good, the toaster, will be fair average. Warranties can attach in two ways. Either the seller can attach the warranty or it can attach automatically because of the code. We call warranties that attach by the seller express warranties. Warranties that are attached by virtue of the code are implied warranties. There's one other way to characterize warranties. Warranties of title, warranties that assure free and clear title, and warranties of quality. Warranties that promise the goods sold is of some value. The warranties provided in the code are 2312, a warranty of title, 2313, express warranties, 2314, implied warranties of merchantability, and 2315, the implied warranty of fit for a particular purpose. 2313 is the warranty of title and provides that a seller assures the buyer that the good is sold free from any claims of ownership by another. 2313 is the provision for express warranties. It provides that if the seller makes a promise to the buyer that relates to the goods and becomes part of the basis of the bargain, then the goods must meet the seller's promise. The warranty can be made by affirmation of factor promise, or by description, or by sampler model. An affirmation of factor promise must be just that, something clear and factual, something like this car gets 35 miles to the gallon. Puffery, adjectives that make a good more attractive, do not create an express warranty. So language like, this is the best car ever, is puffery rather than an affirmation of factor promise. Express warranties are also created by a description sampler model. Words in a catalog or couches that are on a showroom floor can serve as express warranties. The key to 2313 is that it must be given by the seller and become part of the basis of the bargain. A seller who promised a car based on a promise that it would reach 55 miles per hour was held to have given an express warranty. One thing to think about when dealing with express warranties. Many times the warranty is made orally, but the contract of sale provides a term that contradicts the oral express warranty. A parole evidence issue arises in proving the existence of that express warranty. 2314 is the warranty of merchantability. This is an implied warranty of quality that attaches to every contract for sale of goods made by a merchant. At its simplest, the implied warranty of merchantability just means that the good must be fit for the ordinary purpose for which the goods are used. In other words, the goods must be fair average. A butter knife must be able to spread butter. It need not work as a screwdriver. 2315 is the implied warranty that the good will be fit for a particular purpose. 2315 warranties attach when the seller has reason to know at the time of contracting of any particular purpose for which the goods are required and the buyer relies on the seller's skill or judgment in selecting the goods. So if a buyer goes to a hiking store to buy a hiking boots and asks for help in selecting sturdy boots, but fails to mention to the seller that he's on his way to hike up Mount Kilimanjaro, and then the boots fail when the buyer's hiking all the way up to Mount Kilimanjaro, there is not necessarily a violation of the implied warranty of fit for a particular purpose of the buyer's particular needs. But if the buyer told the seller of the purpose of the hike, and the seller recommends a particular set of boots, then there is a 2315 warranty. So 2314 and 2315 are the same because they are both implied warranties of quality. They are different in that in 2314, the seller need not have any understanding of the buyer's purpose of the sale, whereas in 2315, the seller must have reason to know what the buyer is buying 
the good for, and that the buyer must be relying on the seller's killer judgment. One other way they are different is that 2314 only applies to merchants, while 2315 applies to all sellers. Warranties can be limited or extinguished. Because both the code and the seller can give the warranty, the code also provides ways that the seller can take the warranty away. 2312 Warranty of Title includes with it the way in which a seller may extinguish the warranty of title. 2312B simply states that a warranty can be excluded by specific language or circumstances that give the reason to know that the person selling the good does not have title. Buying a Rolex watch on the street of New York gives the buyer reason to know that there may not be a warranty of title. 2316 provides the ways in which a seller can disclaim a warranty of quality. 2316.1 simply states that a merchant that gives an express warranty cannot take an express warranty away. This is fairly simple. However, keep in mind, as I said earlier, if the express warranty is given orally prior to the party signing the contract, or if it is written on a separate document and the contract for the good excludes the warranty, the buyer will have to get around the parole evidence rule in order to prove the existence of the warranty. 2316.2 discusses the way in which a seller or merchant can exclude an implied warranty of quality. In order to exclude or modify the implied warranty of merchantability, or any part of it, the language must mention merchantability, and in the case of a writing must be conspicuous. To exclude or modify an implied warranty of fitness, the exclusion must be in writing and must be conspicuous. 2316.3 allows for additional ways in which a seller can limit warranties. Sellers can use recognized language like as is or with all faults. Sellers can also limit or exclude the warranties based on inspection. A seller effectively excludes any defects that would have been revealed during inspection if the seller demands, and I mean demands, not just suggests, that the buyer inspect the good and the buyer refuses, or if there are obvious defects that a reasonable examination would have revealed. And finally, warranties can be excluded by course of dealing, course of performance, or usage of trade. 2719 allows a different type of term modification and exclusion. 2719 allows the parties to modify or exclude remedies, in other words, damages awards. According to 2719, the parties can provide a liquidated damages term in their contract. A liquidated damages term is a term in a contract that sets a damage amount that will be assessed in the event of a breach. It also allows the parties to limit remedies, such as limiting a remedy to repair and replacement in the event of a breach. 2719.2, however, puts a caveat on the ability to limit remedies and provides that a limited remedy is void if it fails of its essential purpose. In other words, it is void if the limited remedy, the remedy that was modified by a term of the contract, fails to make the non-breaching party somewhat near whole. In that case, the court will not enforce it. 2719.3 allows for the limitation of consequential damages so long as they are not unconscionable but states that a limitation of consequential damages for personal injury or consumer goods is prima facie unconscionable. All right, so that ends our discussion of warranties. To briefly review, warranties are either made by the seller or implied by the legislature or code. There are warranties of title and warranties of quality, and the code allows in certain circumstances and under certain conditions for a seller to limit these warranties. 
Let's look at the final type of terms that are defined in Chapter 3, and those are delivery terms. 27319 discusses FOB and FOS terms. FOB means free on board. A contract that provides for FOB means the seller must put the goods in the possession of the carrier. FOB seller's place of business means the seller must only put the goods in the possession of the carrier at the seller's warehouse. This is called a shipment contract. Shipment contract is kind of a misnomer because it sounds like the seller must ship the goods. But no, it means that the seller must only get the goods to the shipper. FOB buyer's place of business is a destination contract. It means the seller must get the goods to the place where the buyer will accept tender of delivery. FAS concerns itself with vessels and means free alongside. In that instance, the seller must get the goods to the dock of the vessel names on the FAS. UCC 320 defines CIF and C and F terms. C stands for cost, I stands for insurance, and F stands for freight. A CIF or C and F contract is one where the seller sells the buyer the good and the seller also charges the buyer for cost of insurance and freight, or cost and freight. So for example, let's say that Apples R Us is selling Stop and Shop 1,000 apples for $1,000 CIF. The total contract price is $1,050. In that case, the seller is selling the apples for $1,000, and the seller is charging the buyer Stop and Shop another $50 for the cost of shipping the apples. So CIF and CNF contracts are really shipping contracts where the buyer need only get the goods to the shipper, with a favor, so to speak, of taking care of the shipping obligations at the buyer's expense. Since the buyer is basically paying the seller to take care of the shipping, CIF and CNF terms are considered shipping contracts, which matter in terms of risk of loss in both CIF and CNF contracts. Risk of loss passes to the buyer once the seller gets the goods to the shipper. And finally, 2322 discusses X-Ship and requires delivery from the ship on which the goods are carried. So that's a discussion of Chapter 3, which focuses on the terms that the code can insert into a contract. You can loosely group these terms into three categories, gap fillers, warranties, and shipping terms. On an exam, if a contract for the sale of goods is silent with respect to particular terms, or if there's a battle of forms issue that requires the court to insert a term, then it is one of these terms that will be inserted. Also on an exam, keep in mind that the implied warranty terms of 2314 and 2315 automatically attach to any sale of goods without any mention of them in the contract. And that's the case unless these terms are disclaimed. So there you go, UCC terms. Hope this was helpful. And thank you to www.bensound.com for supplying the music. See you next time on Law to Fact.